Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be worshiping together. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently because these are, after all, uh, kind of strange times that we're living in. Now, normally there's like this unspoken rule about uh, worshiping in church and like when the preacher's on stage talking and doing the thing, there's not like a lot of chatter happening out there in the chairs. And so we're going to push back on that a little bit because these are unique times. And so I want to say, um, go ahead and leave a comment, ask a question. There's like this comment box below. You can go ahead and, and fill that out and ask whatever you want to. Make observations. If you have a question, if you have an insight, if God is speaking to you during this time together or giving you some kind of insight, go ahead and type that in. Share it with other people. We are doing life together as a community. And speaking of kind of strange times that we're in right now, I want to tell you about how we're standing with all of you during these strange times um, in order to, uh, to do life together, in order to, to uh, bring people far from God to new life in Christ. What we did is uh, went ahead and earlier this week scrapped all of the plans that we had for a message series and everything that was like our lead up to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we were really excited about, you know, what the plans were, what we were going to do. And we decided, you know what, because of everything that's going on, because of how many people are in homes and not able to, uh, to be outside and meet with other people, just the impact uh, that the coronavirus has had. We said, you know what, scrap all of that stuff. We are going to do a message series devoted entirely to where people are, where you are right now. And so the series that I get to introduce today is called Tough Times. And so we're going to take a look at anxiety in tough times, in uh, fear in tough times, loneliness in tough times. We're going to take a look at all of these things in just a minute because, because these are tough times. And so I want to acknowledge a lot of you are experiencing these really, really hard times, these tough times. I want to, I want to talk to those of you parents who became homeschooler parents, like overnight, right? You didn't plan on this. You didn't prep for this. You didn't go to school for this. But now your kid learning how to read or your kid learning trigonometry is like in your hands right now. And you're feeling like scared to death about what that means. These are, these are tough times. And I mean, think about what that means too uh, for your kid's elementary school or, or high school teacher. You know, somebody, teacher out there, classroom environment, they live and they thrive on the engagement of people like being in the room together. You know, my wife was a, a high school a teacher for nine years. And one of the little, uh, the little insights that she would share with me is that, you know, those like students that would kind of like say things out of turn and speak up and, and kind of the class clown type of things. Her dirty little secret as a teacher was that she actually found those students to be hilarious. She loved it. She loved the interaction and the banter and the engagement in the classroom environment. And now that's gone. It's just different. There's a virtual setup and, and everything has been upended. And so I just want to say, students, teachers, families, these are tough times. You know, I uh, read earlier this week that the state of Minnesota actually... Uh, they declared grocery store employees as emergency workers. And if you, if you have a retail job and if you stock shelves, you probably never thought in your life that what you do is classified as emergency personnel. But now, nobody is disputing that fact because these are tough times. These are tough times for the church. As a, as a church leader in my little slice of the world, we've had to make some incredibly difficult decisions about how we proceed this new reality that we're in. We've had to make some tough calls around, 
around whether to postpone some things, about how to retool or reimagine everything that we did. And so earlier this week, during the, during the week, you saw a lot of live broadcasts from us. And one of the things, many of the things that you heard coming out of this place, coming from me, was that we're not going to cancel anything, but we are going to reimagine and retool everything because the ministry of God, the gospel of Jesus, is too important to lose. But that's difficult. That is a lot of hard work, and these are tough times. And I bet that's just one little slice of my world. That's just my picture. And I just can't imagine, it gives me all that more empathy, imagine for local and national state leaders who have to make sometimes life and death decisions that they never thought maybe that they'd had to make before on this scale. These are tough times. And so some of the assumption within these tough times is that what it does to faith. Because some of our assumptions is that, is that is that faith in tough times is going to diminish. It's going to push us away. It's going to reduce the faith that we have. It's going to cripple the faith that we have. It's, it's, going to, it's, it's going to put it on hold at least for a while. And so what we're doing in this Tough Times series, in part one today, faith in tough times, is push up against that notion to say, no, 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 we are not backing down. We are not giving up on faith in tough times. We are leaning into it. Because there's another possibility. There's the possibility that this is a time, that this is a season when God grabs a hold of our hearts like never before, that it's possible in this season that we don't put faith on hold, but God uses this to drive us deeper into the love of God than we ever thought possible before. And so this is a time when we're looking at the pieces of our lives and how everything is different and saying these are just pieces of a much grander puzzle, a much bigger picture. And this chapter that, this, this, that we're in right now, this is just one part of a good story that will continue and go on forward. That it's possible that even during these tough times that God is about to do his deepest work yet. That it's possible that now, in this season, some of you, many of you will join church for the first time because we came to you right in your living room, right on your mobile device. It's possible that this season right now is the first time that you're going to join a small group and it's going to be done totally virtual. This is a time right now that many of you will lean forward and lean in and sacrificially give for the first time. We are so thrilled to be on this journey together of what God is doing. So we're not giving up on faith. We're owning it and we're seeing what God does with it. But what happens to our faith is dependent on, on two postures that I'd like to introduce to you. Whether or not we drift away or whether or not we're driven into faith is dependent on these two postures. And rather than just tell you what they are, I'd like to do one better than that. I'd like to show you where they are. Because God has so much incredible wisdom for us in his book that I'd like to you to have the resources to discover these on your own. So let's go ahead and... Uh, and go to the book in the Bible of 2 Thessalonians. It's towards the back. If you don't have a Bible at home, I know that you're lying because you're watching this on an internet-enabled device. So go ahead and Google 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to check out what it has to say there. 2 Thessalonians kind of implies it's a sequel. There's a 1 Thessalonians. That's true. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, see what? What was going on, usually we sign our names at the end of a letter. They're writing a letter. They're leading with it. That was their custom. They don't say, like, sincerely, Dirk. They just lead Paul, Silas, Timothy, the authors of the letter, 
to the church of the Thessalonians. Those are the people that live in the city of Thessalonica. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, what are, we, what are we reading here? What are we opening up? I told you it's a letter from Paul, Silas, to Timothy. It's a group project. They're writing this thing out. Church in Thessalonica. Now that's what's going on here. Now I just want to kind of make a comment on what this church is all about because it's going to really give some insight into how God is speaking to our type times today. That we, in fact, as the church, we've been here before. God has moved through this before. There's very little new under the sun. The church in Thessalonica came about because Paul had a vision one time. He was living in the city of Troas, which is kind of modern-day Turkey on the far western edge. He's living in Troas, and, and he's get this vision, this picture and, and, and he sees a man come to him and says, hey, come on over to Macedonia. So he goes in Troas, which is in the yellow there. He goes over to Macedonia, which is in red. That's where Thessalonica is. He kind of goes by sea and then a little bit by land. It's a hundred mile journey over land. So it's a ways. Now he's going through all this whole area and he encounters a lot of different experiences, a lot of different events. He ended up in prison in uh, the city of Philippi one time. God miraculously brings him out of prison. Um, it's just a lot of incredible miraculous things that he did. And then he gets to the city of Thessalonica. And I love this part of it because he's in the city of Thessalonica for only three weekends. So he goes to the synagogue and he starts telling the people that live, the people that worship there, that their Messiah, Jesus Christ, had come. And he, and, and, and he was arrested and he suffered. He died but he didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead and that you will too. That's the gospel message. He said that your Messiah had already come. And you know, not a lot of people believed him, but some of them did. And the church of Thessalonica was born. It was born in only three weekends. And so if you're a note-taking kind of person in your Bible app or writing in your Bible or just taking notes, remember that a a dull pencil beats a sharp mind every day in remembering the truths that God tells you. And so maybe this one would be worth writing down, that it does not take a long time for a work of God to start. Three weekends, the birth of a church that is incredibly resilient, as we'll see. Three weekends for a work of God to begin. And so I want to I share with you, especially if you're discouraged right now, especially if you're identifying those tough times, if you're that parent I mentioned earlier who doesn't know how to educate your kid, you're feeling like, like you're in way over your head. If you're stressed out at work because you're immediately impacted with all of this, or if you're not at all and you've been furloughed and you're at home and you're bored out of your mind and you just need this breakthrough to come. And I want to remind you that it does not take long for a work of God to start. He is on the move. Breakthrough is coming. So this is the church of Thessalonica. It starts a little at first, and it's gaining momentum. God is clearly behind the whole thing. And so Paul writes the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, kind of like a one-two punch of encouragement that he's giving this church. And so I don't want you to miss it, especially as we get to those postures at the very end. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the outline of the message so you kind of know and you can track all along. We're going to go through verse 4, so not very far, and you're going to see that we're talking about the good stuff, the bad stuff, and the right stuff. So it's just a kind of a brief outline. It's the good, the bad, the right. And we're going to see how the good stuff is in the church, the right stuff, or the bad stuff is also pressing up against it. And Paul's going to encourage them to use the right stuff to hit the bad stuff. All right, let's jump into the passage. We're going to go to 
1 Thessalonians, continuing on, and we're going to get to, to verse 3, the good stuff. Paul, Silas, Timothy, right? We, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. That's so powerful. I love those two lines, those, those two words I underline there for you. It's faith and love. That's, that's the good stuff. But it's even better than just that. It's even better than just good stuff. It's amazing stuff. Because when Paul says that your faith is growing more and more, he means there's even, even more than that. That phrase that we've translated here, and the phrase that we translated as is growing more and more, that means even more than just growing more and more. That's one word in the Greek language. The word is uper exano. And I don't want you to say that out loud. Sometimes we do that because if you say uper exano, somebody's going to think you sneeze and they have to self-quarantine for two weeks. We don't want to do that, okay? So you don't, have to, you don't have to say the word out loud. But what you do have to know is that word is a powerful one. It's the only time that that word is used in the entire New Testament. But Paul was an extremely educated person and he knew. He knew and he read widely. And so he could, he could pull in these other words that are not often used. And he pulled in a word that meant something more than just growing. It means that it's growing beyond normal limits. It's almost an unnatural kind of growth. Don't you absolutely love that? Isn't that so powerful? Growing beyond natural limits? You know what that means? That means that there's something unnatural about it. That means that there's something supernatural about it. So powerful. That Paul's identifying this faith that they have and says, that right there. Even when the storms of pressure and stress come, there's something supernatural about your faith. There's something God-given about your faith. And we believe, we believe that there's something God-given and supernatural about our faith too. That can hold fast even when the hurricane winds blow up against it. It holds fast. Uper exano kind of faith. But that's not all. There's also the love. The love that they all have and share with one another. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they find it so encouraging. As soon as they wrote one letter, they had to immediately send another letter out just to offer them that encouragement and say, this is the good stuff that I see. It's faith, but it's also love. These faith and love, they kind of go together, don't they? It's like this one, too. If you study the Bible for a while, you're going to start to realize that faith and love are often listed one right next to another. Faith and love, faith and love. And it's not only the words that are used, I think the order is also important. Faith almost always comes before love. It's faith then love, not just faith and love. There was one author about this um, who was writing as a, a commentator and scholar. He wrote extensively about this work and, and so much more in Thessalonians and the church in that day. And the way that he described faith is like the inward working and, and love is like the outside. In a sense, I guess you could say that, that, that faith is the root and love is the fruit. I love that so much. It's a little cheesy, but I want you to remember that faith is the root and love is the fruit. Now, I don't, I don't know a lot about farming. You know, I'm not an agricultural person. But a little while ago, I took my kids to an apple orchard. And uh, we had a good time going in and out of the little, 
little aisles, you know, I guess they don't call them aisles, I don't know, lanes, whatever they're called, with the apple trees all down the, all down the rows. And we're going in and, in and out. And you know what? As a, as a person untrained in agricultural things, the only thing that I'm looking for is like the bright, shiny apples on the tree. That's, the, that's it. That's all I know what to look for. Listen, I'm only looking at the fruit, but I guarantee you the farmers that are in charge of those trees and that orchard, I guarantee you that the farmer spends far longer thinking about the root than they do about the fruit. That the farmer spends time thinking about the, about the soil content and the phosphorus and nitrogen that's there, about fertilizing, about pesticides. That the farmer is thinking about weather conditions. The farmer is thinking about the entire structure of the tree that needs to be there, the, the healthy root system that needs to be in place so that the fruit inevitably develops. And like that's the picture. When you have this rock-solid kind of faith, this rugged faith that cannot be taken away, something incredible happens. It's not just the love. That faith cannot be shaken. Listen to these words that, uh, that from J.I. Packer. I just, this is the kind of rugged faith that we're talking about. Uh, he says that God uses chronic pain and weakness, along with other afflictions, as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. Listen, listen. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean, and the harder we lean, the stronger we grow. Just one more time. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean, the more we grow. That's uperexonal kind of faith that inevitably culminates out of that root structure into a fruit of love that everybody can see all around. That no matter what hurricane winds face us down, God grows that kind of faith that just makes us stronger and stronger in the end. Okay, that's, that's the good stuff, like I said. Now we get into some of the bad stuff. Listen to this line. Second, first, yeah, Second Thessalonians 1, verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Now, that's the bad stuff. I told you earlier that it's important that Paul is writing two letters. First and second Thessalonians. Now, typically what would happen is because they didn't have direct messages, they couldn't just leave a comment in the box below, they couldn't email or text anybody, letters took an extraordinary long amount of time to get from one place to another. And so usually what would happen, they'd write, and they'd wait a while, sometimes weeks, to get the message, and then to send a message. It could be a month or more before they had their first exchange between the two places where they were. But Paul doesn't wait. He writes one, and then immediately on the heels, he writes another one because he knows what they're facing. He knows the persecution that they're facing. We read about that in the book of Acts. You can check it out on your own. He also knows about the trials that they're experiencing. And when he says trials that they're experiencing, the Greek word on there is philipsis. Now, it's, it means more than just a, just a setback. He's talking about these severe stresses and pressures that they're undergoing. Now, this is intense for them. Because the stress and the, pre and the pressures, they tend, to, they tend to push people towards the extreme. 
Now, the particular thing that they were looking at, and this is probably not where you are right now, but, but the results of it, the underlying thing is very much where we all are right now. The particular thing that they were looking at is that some people believed, and some people were saying this heresy, that Jesus Christ, after ascending to heaven and, and promising to come back, that Jesus had already come back. And so that's what they were sharing with people. He said, listen, like, this is it. He came back. This is, this is all there is. Now, Paul knew that that was an outright lie. Uh, Paul knew that you'll know when Jesus will come back. Paul knew that everything will be made right again when Jesus comes back, that everything sad will come untrue when Jesus comes back. Paul knew that we would know when Jesus comes back again. But people were saying that this is all there is, that he already came back. And that pushed people into the extremes. On one side, it pushed people in Thessalonica and the church to the extreme of doing nothing at all, of just sitting on their hands. And so Paul had to step in. He had to remind them and say, no, 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 get to work. There's still a lot of work to be done. Stop sitting with idle hands, he said in Thessalonians. Then he also knew it pushed people to another extreme, the busybody extreme, the people that are like, hey, listen, have you heard this thing? And the gossip train that was going around. It pushed them into that, that extreme of spreading false information. That's what stressors and pressures do. They push us to the extreme. That's what philipsis, that's what trials do. It pushes us to the extreme. And boy, have we seen a lot of people be pushed to the extreme this week. I mean, I just go through on my Facebook page, Instagram, and I can just see the extremes coming out. I can see the extreme on one side of people that are absolutely paralyzed in fear and unable to get out of bed in the morning because of the crippling anxiety that just wraps them up. And I get that. These are tough times and I'm not blaming. I understand that. I think that's in a sense, that's reasonable. If I experienced or if I saw the world you did, I'd have the same response to it. You would likely. But the other extreme, the other extreme is people that just get angry. The other extreme is people that are just railing against national, local, state governments, public health officials, and just like heaping, just, uh, just toxic negativity, just everywhere, spilling it to anybody that's going to listen. These are two extremes, but that's what Philipsis does. That's what the stressors and the pressures do. They push us over to these things. And Paul's identifying not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff. And he's saying, no, no, no. There's no room for that here. And you're going to have to meet the bad stuff with the right stuff. Listen to how he does that. I'm going to tell, I'm going to share again with you verse 4 one more time. And I'm just going to put the emphasis, the highlighting on some different words. Again in verse 4, it says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. He identifies perseverance and endurance. He identifies these things as saying this endurance, this, this rugged faith that carries you through this uperexano kind of faith, this unnatural, supernatural kind of faith, this rugged faith, this sacred perseverance, this holy endurance. He says that's the kind of God-given faith that's going to carry you through. And church today and this week, it's that kind of rugged faith, holy perseverance, sacred endurance that's going to pull you through these tough times as well. I heard a story a little while ago 
about a man in Kansas City who had an accident and suffered facial disfiguration. He lost his sight as a result of it. He even lost his hands from about the elbows down, again, as a result of the accident. It was an extraordinary difficult season for him. In addition to that, he was a brand new Christian and just starting off. But church, he wanted, he wanted so badly to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God for himself. He was not content with just listening the Word of God from somebody else or from a recording. He wanted to dig into it himself. But how could he? He's blind and he didn't have hands. He hears the story of a woman in the UK, in England, And he hears a story about a woman who learned to read Braille by pressing her lips up against the little bumps on the page and reading for herself that way. But he quickly discovered that because of the accident, he too lost feeling in his lips. He couldn't feel. In fact, he couldn't feel and didn't have sensation in the vast majority of his body. But what he did realize is one place where he did still have sensation and feeling was on the tip of his tongue. And so I kid you not, he got himself a Braille version of the Bible and read through it cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, studying the Word of God with the tip of his tongue, not once, but four times before he passed. Church, this is a guy who reads the word of God cover to cover four times with the tip of his tongue. Your move, church. Like, what do you do with that? That's incredible. No, it's not incredible. That's the power of God wrapping up somebody's life. That's rugged faith. That's sacred endurance. That is holy perseverance day in and day out. I told you I was going to give two postures that the church in Thessalonica had to persevere and to endure, to maintain uberexano kind of faith through the trials, the flipsis that they were facing. And here they are. They're simple. Endurance for yourself, like that man from Kansas City that we heard about. Endurance for yourself, but also along with that, encouragement for others. It's as simple as that. Endurance for yourself, encouragement for others. Find somebody to encourage this week. Find somebody to reach out every single day this week and to offer them that encouragement. You know, Paul gets a bad rap sometimes. (laughs) Paul gets a rap because he has to address so many issues and so many problems in the church that people think he's a negative guy. Read his letters to the New Testament churches. He always begins with this incredible amount of, of thanksgiving and encouragement. It's like oxygen for the soul. And and Paul is is giving out deep breaths of fresh air to these churches living in some extraordinarily tough times. He started Thessalonians with those words that we ought always to thank God for you and rightly so because of your faith and because of your love. And a different one in the book of Philippians, he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he, and he writes to them and he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. He is so full of encouragement. 
endurance for himself, but encouragement for others. Encourage others, churches. Get creative with it. Find a different person every single day to offer encouragement for. Find somebody within your church body. Find somebody with outside of your church body to, to encourage this week. A family members and neighbors, coworkers, people you haven't seen in a long, long time. Reach out and just offer unsolicited encouragement this week because it's the air that we breathe in God to cultivate that kind of faith. So church, I want to offer you some encouragement today. I want to start. Now, I'm not a doctor or a medical researcher. I can't do very much about the spread of the coronavirus. I can't come up with a vaccine. But what I have noticed is last week, week and a half, is that in addition to the pandemic of COVID-19 sweeping through our nation and our world, I've also noticed that there's a pandemic of fear and of loneliness and of anxiety. And I may not do much to come up with a vaccine or a treatment for the coronavirus, but church, what I have, what we have together is alleviation and help for the pandemic of fear, loneliness, and anxiety. It is the gospel. It is the enduring hope and perseverance in Jesus Christ who defeated death on our behalf. He rose from the dead and said, if you believe, you will too. And that is the help that we want to get out to the world and to share with everybody. So church, some encouragement for you this week. I may not know a lot about this, but I can look up a few ways of seeing hope on the horizon. For example, earlier this week, China just closed their last emergency hospital that was treating the coronavirus. It's an encouraging sign. It's the 46 patients, recovered patients. The last ones walked on outside. They were met with a small group of people, a small band of people offering their applause. And yes, it also means that there got to be a small gathering of people, live and in person. Hope is on the horizon. If maybe this is your thing more so, I'll offer that Starbucks and Apple just announced that they're reopening their stores in China. Hope of normalcy is coming. Endure, persevere. I have seen more encouragement this week than maybe any other week in my life. I've, I've heard about, about neighbors checking on each other. I've heard more stories about people getting out and, and connecting with their communities than ever before. I heard a story earlier on that, that a person went to the store and in a, in a panic, hoarded, gathered up all of this stuff, supplies, way more than the family needed. But they had it in the cart and at home. And then hearing about how there's a shortage and about how people shouldn't, shouldn't, about how people couldn't get some of these resources that they needed, that they didn't have, she decided out of conviction of her faith that it's not good enough for me to, for me to have more than I need when other people are going without. So she went ahead and returned toilet paper to the store during this crisis. If that's not a work of God, I don't know what is. God is on the move church. God is on the move here in our church. Hearing stories, people sharing screenshots of their small group meeting over Zoom. Last week when we're watching the number of sustained devices over all of our platforms, streaming platforms and our different worship experiences, 
It's very likely, church, that last week was the highest attended worship weekend we've ever had before. God is on the move. He's living. He's alive. He has not forgotten about us. And church, we know, we know that this virus is contagious. And we know that fear is contagious too. But hope, love, church, your faith is contagious as well. Encourage one another this week. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we uh, don't know, we acknowledge, we just don't know what's in the future up ahead of us. But God, we know better than that. We know you who holds the future. So God, I ask that, that you meet us here in these tough times, that you take all of this stuff that's happening around us and you turn it around for your good and for your glory. God, I ask that we get to see what you're up to, that we get this vision of your incredible work here on earth with people banding together, setting differences aside. God, I pray that this is a time that our church and so many others are going to turn to you. God, that you are going to grow this unnatural, uber exano kind of faith in our lives. One that's rugged, enduring, and persevering. Jesus, it's in your name we pray all this. Amen.